0: welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters that are shaping the electronic music landscape. I'm Will Lynch, and I'm the Associate Editor at Resident Advisor. Eamon Harkin and Justin Carter, the duo behind Mr. Saturday Night, have their own way of doing things. They've thrown more than 100 parties in New York over the past few years, mostly at lofts and other unconventional venues. They determine every detail of every event, from booking the DJs, to tweaking the sound, to telling the security how to treat the crowd. Their end goal with all this can be boiled down to one simple idea, community. In their own words, Mr. Saturday Night is not necessarily for the heads. It's for everybody, including people who are new to clubs and electronic music. Sometimes there are guest DJs, sometimes there aren't. Either way, the parties tend to be packed. These days, Mr. Saturday Night is almost a victim of its own success. The parties fill up early, and sometimes people have to be turned away, which could complicate their friendly ethos. Meanwhile, their record label's taken off with a few strong EPs, especially Anthony Naples Mad Disrespect, which was one of Ari's top tracks from last year, and Harkin and Carter have embarked on their first proper DJ tour of Europe. We caught up with them on the first date of their tour to talk about where Mr. Saturday Night is coming from and where it might be going. <laughs> third time touring Europe, is that true? Second or third?
1: This is the first time that I would say we've gone on a on a proper tour. Where, we're, I mean we have nine dates I think on this tour. Um, so we've come over before, we've had a like, semi-regular thing at Plastic People and we've played Loftus Hall, like done a night ourselves twice, twice now, too. And but I've played it before. So anytime we've come over there's been like, two or three dates or something like that. But this is the first time we're, like, here for three weeks and doing what I would consider an actual tour.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, I know you guys have kind of a... You have, like, a signature aesthetic to your parties, it's, it seems to me. What places over here meet that um, standard best for you?
2: Well, I think we find that uh, Loftus Hall Yeah. Yeah. met that aesthetic oh, yeah. well. Oh, so, yeah. 100%. Yeah. So that was... Those two parties were, were really great. Um,
0: Why? What is it about Loftus Hall that you like?
2: I mean, it feels quite Brooklyn. It feels quite um, sort of DIY in its makeup, but also the guys that run it are just really good guys, and there's a great friendly vibe, sort of a, a vibe of, of like a community based around the, the venue. So you yeah. kind of sort of slip into that. And feel comfortable immediately and right, and, that, right. and that's like a really important start to any sort of night or relationship so we kind of felt that from the start and the room i mean it hasn't got the, the best sound system in the world or anything like that but it's but it's adequate and the room's just laid out really nicely as well you know, it's kind of like square it's warm it's got good acoustics wooden floor dj booth, raised just you know the, the right amount so, you get in there and you start playing and it just feels, feels yeah. comfortable. Mm-hmm.
0: But yeah, uh, so I guess f- for anyone that doesn't really know, um, how would you characterize this sort of Mr. Saturday night party aesthetic, because it is fairly distinctive? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. you kind of said it, you said a few things just in your description of Loftus Hall.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it it's very much an end-to-end experience and that that's that's what we work hard on creating and maintaining so we really think about the experience of coming to the party generally online discovering what the party's about who's producing it what you know what their sort of mission is um right through to like turning up the door meeting the door person meeting security coming in uh the you know experience you have at the bar the music that's been played the quality of the sound system just that that overall experience is is what we're focused on and we what we want that to be is is something that's that's based around a community of people you know that that is growing around the party that people have that kind of shared love of music and connecting with each other um and that's just that whole end to end experience is just what we continue to to focus on and, and and hone and tweak and and that, and that means you know working with you know our security team, working with um, you know our designer on the aesthetic of the party and the website and the flyers, uh, how we how we project the stories around around the party. You know the the narrative that that Justin writes each time for each party is really important as well. Shh, it's not me,
1: oh, Damn
2: it. <laughs> yeah, I, I do it sometimes as well. The, the slightly less elegant na- narratives that are out there <laughs> are the ones that I've written. Um, it's all very important. So we're always thinking about that. We're always thinking about, the, you know, the message that, that that portrays. And then just on a music front, I mean, just playing great music that, that, that we love and we believe in, you know, across a wide variety of genres um, and just because, you know, at the end of the day, that's that's the core product. That's what comes through when it's all. Mm. Finally, come together. So, just doing that in a way that uh, makes sense to us musically, We're, DJs.
1: We really are trying to create community. I mean, you know, we we talk about this all the time, and um, I I just think that that's particularly important in the world that we live in right now because you know because we spend so much time in front of the computer. At, at the end of the day, that's really what it's about, and whether. You know, we happen to be lovers of music and have had a lot of experience in nightlife through the years. And so that's the, the vehicle that we use to create community. But I think that whether you're running a book club or, uh, you know, you do dinner parties with your friends and have a, a regular place that you you go to um, to dance or or whatever it is, it's important right now in the world to really have some place that you can go and actually interact with people in a, and, yeah, in a physical way in a, in a yeah in a physical way where you can where you can talk to people and and learn about new you know new different kinds of people you know i, I think that, that that's the most important thing for us and so we like i said we you know we use music because that's what we know right but the the main goal for us is to try to to bring people together um we uh I, th- I think music is a particularly good way of bringing people together because, you know, music is that language that that goes beyond words, right? And there's a, an extra kind of social interaction that you get to do um, through dancing, right? And I'll repeat myself, when we were interviewed for the Real Scenes thing, we said the same thing, but I think it's a really good point, and it, it bears repeating over and over and over again. that. When you see different kinds of people on a dance floor enjoying something, and you can tell that they're enjoying something on the same level that you're enjoying it, but maybe you haven't met a person like that before—that's that's that's very different than you. I think it's a really great equalizer, and it really allows you to relate to people in a way that you might not be able to by having a conversation, even you know, and you definitely can't by just seeing them around you or reading a story about them. You know, it's a a really amazing way of breaking barriers down. When I first moved to New York, um, I was 18 years old, and I would go out to Body and Soul a lot. And um, I was just always struck at all of the different kinds of people that were there. And that was really like my window into New York and my introduction to the the true melting pot of New York, which exists sometimes in some places in New York and doesn't exist in, in yeah. sometimes in some places yeah. in New York. But a body and soul, it, you'd be on the dance floor and there would be, you know, I remember one night in particular, it was like one of the most magical moments of my life where I was by myself on the dance floor, 18-year-old white kid um, from North Carolina. And, you know, there are... Uh, there's like a gay man who's probably 50 something with his, you know, 70 something year old mom dancing on the dance floor. There's, you know, um, other people like me on the dance floor, you know, mid 20 something club kids. There's a black and Latino um, group of people over here on the side, like all these different kinds of people all enjoying this thing together. And it really just I broke everything down there for me. You know, it was really uh, such a,
2: and for me as well. You, just the fact that you're enjoying it together, and you're having those sort of transcendent moments together, when the music kind of like gives you that sort of cohesion in a room, is enough in itself. You don't have to necessarily connect and communicate verbally. No, right? You're just you're having that shared experience, and that that shared experience for me is a big part of. Of dance music culture mm. and, and, and and club culture, um, and I think it's, I think it's sometimes lost with the kind of industry pattern of big DJs on tour, playing night after night in different clubs. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, that that's great, and and I think that's a necessary part of, of the industry. But if you're continually touring like that and changing lineups. You lack that sort of continuity and that and that cohesion and that and that cu- that that building of community around a sort of a musical journey as well, and that's why for us the direction we've taken the party, particularly in the last couple of years, where we're playing the majority of the parties just ourselves all night long, and the parties are as in demand and as full as they are when we're booking, you know, a big name. You say are or aren't? They are, are for they sure. They are is. Well, one, it's immensely satisfying, but two, it's also, it's where we want to go and it's, it's what we want to, we want to continue to grow and and foster. And I don't think there's enough of that really, Mm. you
1: know? So, um, I don't think there's enough of that anywhere. It's funny because we started, we started doing that. We started consciously saying, all right, you know, we're going to book less guests or when we have a guest play, the guest plays for two hours in the night which is a standard slot for a guest to play. It just happens to be that most of the time when a guest plays at a party in New York or maybe anywhere else, um, that they play for two hours and then there's another guest and they play afterwards and then right. there's another guest. And we just, just say, all right, we're going to play. Guest is going to come on. They're going to play for two hours and then we're going to play again because that establishes a consistency in music because you know we're always coming from wherever it is that we're coming from is as far flung as it might be um but people know that when they come to the party that there's gonna be some aesthetic that's there there's gonna be something that feels familiar to them so we're establishing what mr saturday night is musically and we also set the tone for the night quite a bit you know most of the time there's not a specific time that we have a guest come on we wait until like the floor is ripe And ready we always put the guest on at like the main the main hours of the party right the two peak
2: hours if you will but we've all I mean that has also been been problematic for us so less so now but maybe a year and a half two years ago when, when we when we were consistently sequencing the party in that way we were getting there was pockets of people that were giving us grief about not, have, not letting the guests play play for longer. Um, and, and you know, we, we stuck to it and, we, and we, we continue to explain that we're not creating a vehicle for big name DJs coming through. We're bringing we're bringing guests through because we believe we want to add some musical variety to what we're doing. We're big fans of, of these particular artists and we want them to be part of the party, but no guest is bigger than the party. The party is there's a certain vision for the party and this person has to fit in in this way it it's no longer an issue partly because we with have so few guests now but also i think people really understand that mm-hmm. but for a while there was a it wasn't huge but there was a little bit of a you know a backlash to that as well um and and also the way we you know we presented the the party with the guest right so we we would never make it you know headline status for Fortet or or floating points, or whoever it may be, Um, the way we presented it was, you've got your residence, and you've got a special guest plan for the night. And again, you're talking about on the flyers, how we on the flyers, yeah, and I think I think again, it was it was misunderstood. And I understand why it was perceived in this way, that we were kind of projecting ourselves as DJs ahead of the guest and, and, and writing off the back of that name, which was absolutely never the intention. I think that is, that is now understood, and that has dissipated. But for a while, there was that, um, you know, sort of contention there. But you know, we, we really believed in what we were doing and the direction that we were going, and we were always respectful to the guests, and we always explained to them what we were about and how they were fitting into the party when they when they were playing. And it was it was never a problem at that level at all. They they always got it, and they were always they were always psyched to play at the party. So. You know, it's just—I it's, think it's just kind of an interesting part of the, the the journey we've been on the last couple of years.
1: Well, yeah, and specifically the way we were listing names on the flyer and the, was a response to the way things were happening in New York. We were very aware that there was this mentality—it's like a show mentality, right? And it's funny because I feel like more and more DJs and producers refer to. What they're playing as shows, which irks me to death, actually, because a show to me is something that you go see at a concert hall. Yeah. Or, <clears throat> you know, you go to a, a venue to check out and a, a show is not a DJ set. A DJ set, a show to me symbolizes that it's something to watch, right? That, you know, there's some sort of performance going on. And there are performative aspects to DJing, in some way. I mean, I'm not, I'm not assuming that people aren't going to look at me when I'm DJing or anything like that. But it's that's not what it's about. And and so when we started to put ourselves first on the flyers, um, in the promotions, it was a specific response to this idea that you should drive the message of what it is that you're doing by using a guest's name right right um so we we started to send. we were trying to send a message that hey you know the first thing that's important uh, typically i think the way it was listed is the party's name was first on the flyer with the two of our names and special guest this person saying you are not coming to a caribou show tonight. You're coming to Mr. Saturday Night, which is a party. And there are two consistent elements musically of this party, Eamon and Justin. <clears throat> and the person who's going to augment that tonight is our special guest. Right. Um, but yeah, I think that that was, I think that that was not well received and probably still isn't by some people, yeah. you know, but it was not well received by. A very particular like kind of like industry type. Like uh booking
0: agents, for instance. Oh,
1: actually, no no no. We've never had a problem with a booking agent before. Because we've we've always been clear about how we were gonna do it. Like in interactions with agents, we would say, you know, like because there's always this thing in contracts where it talks about like headline status. Exactly, yeah. And so that's something that we always go back and say, actually nobody's the headliner here. You know, this is this is the way that this works. Right. I think the people that Had the issue with it—the people
2: that that almost consider these these types of events like shows, right? Exactly. They just wanted to come, and and it's often like, you know, dudes, right? (laughs) You know, (laughs) the guys that just come and like stand in front of the DJ and just stare at him for two hours and then go home. Yeah, right. right.
1: But like, you know, I mean, God bless people who are who are real fans of this music, but we're not throwing a party quote-unquote, for the heads. I love when the dancers are out and the heads are out. They're an important part of the party. But I don't want to be... I'm not doing an event just for people who already know about this. That goes back to like the way we design the flyers and the the language that we use when we talk about our parties. We're very specific in um, trying to appeal to people who have never heard the kind of music that we're playing before. We're not trying to throw a party that fall or we're not trying to use language. Rather, we are actively trying to not use language that fits into stereotypical club or rave language because that is alienating to many people. You know, if you use these kind of like stereotypical, like dark things to describe your party, somebody who doesn't really know anything about dance music and doesn't understand where the culture has come from, they're going to look at that and they're going to say, that's not for me. It becomes exclusive when you do that. And, you know, as part of our mission to build community, what we wanted to do is make sure that we weren't just building a community that was for a very particular kind of person. Because the truth is, Or a community that already existed. Right, exactly. Because the community already exists, right? Like, you know, we don't need to do that because there are great parties that are happening in New York that do that already, right? So we were trying to do something different. And I, I feel like that's good for the scene as the whole, right? So, you know, if you can bring new people into the fold and show them that, you know, dance music isn't, all about drugs or all about whatever it is that you thought dance music was about, then you're going to expand EDM. the audience or EDM. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, if you can, if you can bring somebody, you know, if, if somebody looks <clears throat> a mystery and a Saturday night flyer and they're like, Oh, that's that, that looks nice. Like, you know, there's a nice illustration on there. Like I somehow see myself and the person who's on that flyer, whatever they like relate to it in some way. And then they come and we're playing techno. <laughs> You know, which we we play techno, you know, like it's the way that they'll receive that music, I think, is totally different than if they see a flyer and it's like all
0: black yeah. and uses kind of like these like rave fonts, you know? Do you think what you're delivering actually is sort of intense compared to, you know, the the image you're projecting at all? Every now and then somebody will show up at the party.
1: I, I mean, very,
2: very occasionally. I play the opening Mr. Sunday. <clears throat> Last year, I played. I was playing like some Levon Vincent track, and, and and it was like two sort of older gay men that were just giving me the stares because it wasn't like you know disco or yeah. something. Yeah. So very occasionally, but I would say that's the exception to the rule. Of that is, know. most people that are coming to the party because of the the openness in the way that it's presented are discovering and learning to love the music that we're playing without really realizing what it
1: is. Um, Right. Well, because one of the things that we also don't do is we don't talk about what kind of music it is. That's a very purposeful, specific thing. We never say, and we're going to be playing house music tonight. And we love disco and, you know, nothing like that. Like we might.
2: But yet we're very, very serious about our music. Right. We'll obsess over, you know... A genre or $50 a label or... records on discogs and like <laughs> right. and, and compete with each other on, you know, you know, who's got whatever latest wax record that has just gone out of print again. <laughs> right. Um so we're I think we're as serious as anybody about our music, but but we don't need it you don't need to push it down
1: people's throat because
2: no. it's it's just a part of, of of everything else. And it's really
1: limiting to do that.
2: And it's great. It's because I you know I you know my background and and you know my my inspiration has always been parties it's not been djs specific djs or record labels so i've always come to to learn about music through 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 djs that play lots of different types of music that are coming from parties i mean optimal are, are right up there mm. as a as a source of inspiration for me because i'm i'm irish and i lived in the uk for a while so i, I had the opportunity to go to their parties quite a lot and you know, was and remain a huge fan. And and it's people that present music in that really interesting way, based around a party and around a community, that do talk about music but not in a not in a forceful way. Mm. And it's a very diverse sort of language they're speaking at the end. Is just is just so interesting. So that's that's what I like to bring to to what we do as well because I think it's just a better way of doing it.
1: I think the I think one of the reasons why I'm drawn to do things the way that we do is because of my own personal experience. I grew up in North Carolina and I didn't know anything about dance music or rave culture. I mean, you know, like I think I had a Fat Boy Slim CD or something yeah. like that. You know, yeah, like I knew yeah, as yeah. much about it because of like mainstream, what like whatever broke through the mainstream. Right. And it wasn't until... I came to New York, and in my first week, I had a friend on my hall who had an older boyfriend who would take him to Body and Soul, and so he came to me and was like, hey, come with me to this party, but I didn't know what it was, I didn't know anything about the history at all, I didn't know who Francois K and Danny Kriven and Joe Clausell were, and I went to that party for a couple of years, and even actually worked for that party without really understanding like what was going on from like the DJ standpoint, right? Like I didn't get it that part. What I got was this is music that I like. The scene is super cool. I like to dance and that opened the door to this music for me right and, and, also, and, it, and it's changed my life because of that it's you know like really expanded the way i think about music and you know clearly like i've made my career about this music in a way right but i would have never made it if i didn't get introduced to it in the way that i got introduced to it right and so like i want to try to that that's always the place that i'm coming from
2: which is a very different it was a similar introduction that i had as well it was three parties it was three experience which is very different from discovering the next wonder kid on soundcloud and listening to all his tracks and who he goes to and and i think that's that's the predominant sort of force in the industry right now which kind of goes back to what i was saying before about you know the headline dj night and people going out to see him mm-hmm. so that that to me really validates the sort of mission we're on to have a counter to that which is community-based which is about a scene which is about residents and a group of people and a vibe you're trying to create i think both are valid but you know
1: well it's just what you and i know right this yeah is like where we come from right
2: but right? it's also not it's missing right it's missing right. in so yeah. many different cities so
0: it's just it's just what we're trying to do in new york right so you said somebody in your hall um were you a student oh yeah yeah i, I went to nyu yeah. i came to new york at at the
1: age of 18 and
0: I know people um you know I know a bunch of people that moved to New York around that age and a lot of them found it um uh kind of cold and anonymous for a while when they first got there and so you know even if you're older when you move there it can take a while to sort of build up a group of friends especially if you're older when you move there but so I'd imagine having something like body and soul or like Mr. Saturday Night that's this community that kind of is open to you I imagine you know it's kind of like you're doing a real service for you know, for a lot of people, we,
2: we, we hope s- so we get so i mean we literally got um a message two days ago from a guy who used to come to lots of the parties and we haven't seen him in a while and he wrote us a message to tell him that uh to tell us that he hadn't been in a while because he just had a baby that was that was um, conceived after a mr sunday to to a young lady who he met there and and we've actually got several experiences or several um examples of couples who you have met at the party and yeah. come back to, to tell us that so so yeah I mean that's that's awesome yeah, when yeah. you get those stories so we, we asked them if we could claim the first mr Sunday baby and we got the okay on that oh, so cool <laughs> yeah, yeah, <that's> great. <laughs> yeah
0: it's funny to me because I remember like um I used to go to parties in New York a lot um, when I was living in Boston that was kind of like what you do to go to right. a party and um it was funny because compared to other parties where it's like you need to be in an email list and the venue is you know um you'll be informed that day and the whole thing felt kind of like a secret society or something and then meanwhile this Sunday best was like yeah bring your kids there'll be food there like, you know, yeah, like the, yeah, yeah just the polar opposite yeah yeah um but yeah was, I mean listening to you guys talk about it now it feels like you've kind of got this thing going that you know it's it's sort of established and it seems like it's going well um but um, I'm sure it wasn't easy uh, getting there. Or I imagine you guys have had some hard knocks um, over the years.
1: Well, we're specifically right now, actually, we're at a, a real, we're at a tough point. And this is a good problem to have. But we've been talking about this a lot and, and thinking about how to, how to deal with it. But um, mm-hmm. we've gotten to the point now where on Saturday nights, the party... Fills up pretty early, right? By twelve thirty, we're shut. The yeah, doors. before uh, the last party we did filled up before eleven o'clock or mm-hmm. before before midnight, right? And so, you know, when our when our mission is to try to create a community and and make people feel included in something, but we're at a venue that is small. Or is too small for us
0: now, and is that twelve turn? 13? No, house, house, of house of yes, yes okay. yeah,
1: house of yes. So, e- but even twelve turn thirteen. I mean, or right. It happens. When we did that. The indoor
0: Mister Sunday
2: with a, it's we, we turned over like one hundred and fifty people. away. we shut the doors at five. Right. Yeah. 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 Five. yeah.
1: Yeah. And we and we don't know how to solve the problem yet. You know, we're 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 talking about like different things that we can do. We're really limited by venue. Yeah, because we don't do things in traditional clubs right um that's not a not a oh, rule yeah but until there's a club in new york that we feel like really fits our values we're just going to do parties in these offbeat locations right so house of yes is a is an aerialist studio there's like it's like typically a like a theater and workshop for people who are doing like trapeze i see and silks <laughs> and things like that right mm. yeah yeah it's not a it's not a party space right so but that's that's what we use for our party space but house of yes specifically um it has a fairly small dance floor and because most people who are coming are coming to dance what's happening is even when we really limit the capacity of the space to try to leave room i I was there's a lighting booth up above and so i was up in the lighting booth as Eamon was playing at our last party and i looked down and i was like man Nobody can really move down there, like, and it just kind of makes the party feel like people are not dancing as much as we we, we want to, right? And so I went downstairs, um, and when you come down the stairs uh, at House of Yes, you're in the kind of like hangout area, and then the next part is the bar. And there was barely anybody in those parts of the room. So the issue wasn't that there were too many people for the space overall. The issue is that everybody wants to be on the dance floor. And there's just not enough space for everybody to be on the dance floor. And this starts to affect the vibe, right? Yeah, of course. You know, And, and you do this too many times and it can turn people off. Um, people who you know, have been coming to the party for a long time, if they show up after midnight and they can't get in, they get upset. You know, if people are coming to dance and they find that, you know, between the hours of 1230 and 330 that there's not really enough room for them to, like, get lost in the music, they might come a couple of times because they might think, oh, well, this thing happened this night. And But if they keep coming and that keeps happening, they might stop coming at some point. You don't want to lose the core crowd. And so, I mean, we've talked about ways that we can try to try to fix this but we haven't figured it out yet and
0: what are some potential solutions
2: i mean the the eternal challenge right now in new york is is just real estate in general right so house of yes is a great space but it's got it's got that limitation that justin described you know it's kind of when you're on the dance floor there's only kind of one way in and one way out so everybody gets Everybody is in there and gets and gets um, sort of bunched together. Whereas a Grove or outdoor space, the the, da- the the dance floor is relatively small, but but you can just kind of like drift out around that, mm-hmm. right? So there's there's a natural flow. Um, it's fifteen thousand square feet, so I
0: mean, it's plenty of place yeah, to so mill you around. you can hang out, but but yeah. also
2: like you can be off the dance floor and enjoying the music. Mm-hmm. Whereas when the dance Whereas you can't so much at, at somewhere like House of Yes. Mm-hmm. So so we you know, we've never been tied to one venue and we're gonna to continue to look at all our venues that have a a layout that, that could work better for us. But again, in New York it's it's tough getting the, those spaces that, mm-hmm. that that really work. And the lack of traditional clubs as well that work in a way that would work for us is also is also a problem. So I mean it's a good problem to have and I think we'll we'll definitely overcome it we i mean we we have to and we will yeah um but we just gotta we just gotta work through i mean we thought about like a door policy and right it seems like that would but, be a tricky one with yeah it's, it's tricky but it's also sort of kinder intuitive to what we're about as yeah, well exactly um, right if
1: you got somebody on the door who's saying oh you can come inside and you can't come inside then we're doing the, the exact thing that we're trying to get away from right yeah so that's more frustrating for people than it's full inside. I'm sorry, you can't come in because there's like just physical limitations. Yeah. uh, You know, in space and matter. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) you know, So the people can't really argue with that point, but they can definitely argue with like, I'm not allowed to come in because I don't have enough girls with me. You know, (laughs) it's
0: pretty hard to be cool about that one. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So, uh, you know, uh, we've talked about doing like a membership system, although that, you know, that also feels difficult as well. I don't know. I think the membership
2: system is is a good idea. The execution of it's really tricky, right? You know, because the the membership system can help foster community, can help people feel special, can, can keep people together, but just managing it, um, yeah, you know, logistically, how how
1: do you deal We're with that? We're still like, scratching our heads on
0: that one a yeah. little bit. So imagine introducing it to Yeah. You know, it's- Well, right.
1: And who do you introduce it to, right? Because we just have like, we have an email list, like, and we can go in and kind of, you know, on on an email list or I don't know, maybe you don't know, maybe people don't know in general, but you know, with, with email lists, you have a way of kind of segmenting lists and seeing like who signed up when. And so we could go in and like segment the list in some way and say, okay, well, everybody who signed up for our email list before X date, we want to try to offer them membership. But uh, there are people who, Like I, I, every time we have a party, I meet somebody and they're really, really excited about it. It's their very first time there. And I was like, I don't want them to not be able to be a member. Like they're psyched about it. And I like them and I want them to be a part of it too. So yeah, like to be egalitarian, but have enough space is really difficult. But I think, you know, I mean, this is a problem
0: for the best clubs, in the world the best parties in the world you know i mean it's it's to use a cliche it's it's being a victim of your own success Mm -hmm. basically you know and i think the thing is um uh you're kind of making it hard for yourselves intentionally you know like plenty of clubs would be happy to just be totally sold out every night and they don't care what the comfort level is on the dance floor or something you know right like it's by your own choice yeah but
2: the thing about that is that's fine but that's that's you're only looking at the short term there because oh, of course, you're degrading yeah. the experience, and then you're you, you're just going to lose the relationship you have. And, and oh, I'm yeah. Just, you know, no, I'm.
0: Sa- I don't think that's a good way to do things. I'm. I'm right. just saying, like you, you guys are kind of going for something, you know, bigger than just a than just a packed party. Which yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, what's really interesting is I think that you know, I mean, every, every relationship that you develop with somebody on a personal level or as a as a party is a, is a relationship of trust and developing a relationship of trust. It's, you know, it's what we're, we're into, uh, ideally, right. You know, kind of like as a, as an ethos, right. Yeah. But also business wise, it's much, much smarter because if you want to be around for 10 years or 20 years or for your life and you want to have a career, based around something like this, you've got to respect people and you've got to build trust. Otherwise, you might have a packed party, but you're gonna have a packed party for about a year and a half or two years before people finally just say, I've had enough of this. You know, you only get a few chances with people before they're just like, this is not what it used to be. Or whatever, people are always gonna say this is not what it used yeah. to be. But before they say like this this isn't for me anymore and I don't I don't like where this is going. You know, you you lose you lose people's trust when you don't respect these things like, you don't respect why people would come to something in the first place. If people are coming to something because they want to feel a part of something, you got to make sure that you treat them with respect. If you don't do that, then you lose them, you know, and, and you're done. You're done very quickly, I think. So, I mean, this is the story of, this so, is the I story mean, of New York nightlife, you know?
2: Yeah, and... and new york restaurants and i mean it's, yeah you know you go to you go to a restaurant you get bad service once you may go back again and give them a second chance but if it happens a second time you'll never go back to that no. restaurant yeah, again yeah. it's it's that experience is so important
1: yeah.
0: how do you feel like um i mean you kind of just mentioned it with the new york restaurants thing but do you feel like this sort of new york um standard of quality or something is sort of you know influenced the way you put on the party you mean like the the, the, the kind of the buzz of, of particularly around brooklyn um i just feel like in new york there's there's a f- feeling people have of um they hold things to a very high standard oh, right. quality in general uh, you know uh, i, I yeah. definitely think so absolutely i mean
2: it's a very competitive city extremely competitive city i mean you, you could argue the best of, of most things have got examples in in new york so you're competing for people's attention not just with other parties but other experiences there's just so much going on, um, and in, even particularly in the summer. I mean, yeah. you've got so many beaches, you know, within like
1: an hour and a half of the city. You've got fantastic you got weather. In, you have got beaches within the city limits of New York. Right. you can get on a train and go to the beach. You, you can got, get on the train and go to a nice beach, actually, not just Coney Island. <laughs> you know,
2: <laughs> you've got you know you got pools, you got great parks, you've got so many music festivals mm-hmm. going on. You know, it's a very professional city. I mean, it, it is that, I mean, there's a European going there. I, can, I think I can say this. It is very high paced. It is very American. You know, everybody's working hard on the next plan. You know, the next goal. It's it's really relentless in, in, in that pursuit. So, um, you know, you got to be good. If you're not, you're just, you're going to lose out to some other experience. And that's why particularly, you know, Mr. Sunday, when we're getting like, 700 800 people coming through every single Sunday consistently is fantastic because you know you're doing something right. you know when you, when you get feedback from people saying, you know this is one of the reasons I stand the city during the summer yeah. rather than go out of the city or this is one of the reasons I come to the city. yeah, we've had plenty awesome. of people
1: say we came to your party, we used to live in Philly or wherever and we decided like this was one of our main reasons for moving to New York mm. or moving to this neighborhood. Or people you know. emailing us going? We're coming down from
2: Montreal for the weekend. Do you have a party this weekend? Because we want to come. Mm. A weekend you've got a party, right? Yeah, yeah, it's great. And it's interesting because we have to go through some serious um, politicking to get our venue opened in the summer. We got to go to community board. We got to sit down with the the NYPD, and we we have to really sell what what it is we're doing to get the right permits and approvals mm. and we have to sell it in a way we've just we've just described we have to sell it in a way that is this is different right this is not a rave in your backyard and this is a community experience that the community want right and we've got really strong support of the the community and the, the immediate neighborhood um and to actually sort of give them examples and demonstrate to them that this is something that's doing something for New York and, right. and, and is adding to the cultural landscape and is actually potentially adding to tourism. Because, you know, uh, you know you go to like the mayor's website, stuff to do in New York, like we're, we're on there, really just kind of helps with that story. Because, you know, that perception still exists around dance music, particularly still in, in America. And it's not helped by this whole EDM movement either that that the yeah. people just see it in a very sort of ravey way
0: right lowbrow
2: yeah lowbrow ravey drugs just it's just it's bad right and and so if you're going to a community board and it's a lot of like older people who have lived in brooklyn for their entire lives and you're asking for a license to sell alcohol and they ask you what it is you're doing and you start talking about djs dance floor and djs you know you have to come back strong with a really clear, convincing message that it's different, and, and we've done it. But it's probably been one of the most challenging, um, challenging obstacles we've had to overcome in the, in the, yeah. the entire time we've doing the party. Like literally standing up in that in that meeting, like 150 people, barraging you with with questions about you know what it all what it all means, and then sitting down with the detective of the local. Um, Precinct. Precinct. Who, who's actually a very fair and yeah. wonderful man now because yeah. uh, he gives us our permits every single Sunday. Yeah. But yeah. but it was a journey we had to take them on, um, and it was and it was tough and stressful. But, uh, yeah. but we got there, and that in itself is just is really satisfying because it kind of goes back to the ethos of the party in trying to do something different, to to create a different community, to widen the community, to to bring people in. To an experience that they've got preconceptions about, and show them that it's different, and introduce into mm-hmm. something different in their lives through the music, but also the experience, and then to do something in the community that the community then react well to is is really satisfying as well, because you know it it could be perceived that you sort of you know Gowanus as an area in Brooklyn is getting a lot of focus now from a sort of gentrification perspective. There's a lot of development happening with uh you know condos and and new apartments and fancy um supermarket stores and so on and so there's always that there's always that tension that sort of tension on the the gentrification spectrum when when are when are you welcome and when are you not Mm. right and and it's different for different people but one of the things you know i very clearly said in one of those meetings is if we're not welcome in this community we will leave Right, right. Because we don't, we don't. It's not what we're about. We don't want to like shoehorn our party into a, a community and just snub our nose at everybody and play loud music to nine o'clock on a Sunday night. If that, if that's not well received by the people that live there, then then we'll go. And what's been awesome is that, you know, we've got the community board calling us now, asking us, "Are we coming back this summer?" Because they have gotten so much positive response to what we do and that's just it's wonderful because it's it really sort of Kind of shows you're doing the thing that you set out to do. Right. Right. Um, and um So, you know, all being well, we'll be there this summer though. Nothing's ever Nothing's you know, ever a certain percent in, in New York City But if it does it's I think it's gonna be the, the best summer ever because we, we really know we're welcome and I think there's a lot of people who are just hungry to have us back there as well. Yeah,
0: yeah. That uh, reminds me of something that um, in another interview you guys did with Little White Earbuds. I think there was a line where you said um, a lot more heartache has gone into this than, than people realize. And um, you kind of just got into it with you know talking to the these community boards and everything. But um, what exactly do you mean by that, or you know what kind of heartache exactly has has gone into this over the years?
2: I think it was re- I think it was referring to to those types of situations i think we've had you know the particularly the the the, the outdoor space in, in gowanus i mean as it stands now you know justin and i partner with a with a third partner and we we, we basically open an outdoor music venue and run it for the the, the course of the summer it hasn't always been like that we've worked with as an independent promoter coming in um, working with with somebody else who had the lease on the space and that we we had we had difficulty there in just sharing a vision and working towards the type of party that that we wanted but we knew it was so special that we persevered but there was just there was just tension there and and and, and ultimately you know, that 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 third party left the, the the relationship and then we had to readjust and establish a relationship with the landlord and take it on ourselves. So part of the heartache is just is just growing pains as well. We had to learn how to go and get a liquor license. We had to learn how to go and and uh, and certify the space to have, you know, a, a, a certain capacity. We had to learn
1: about the um, the politics of the neighborhood. The, the politics. Po- yeah. Of, or just like what-
2: we, we spent a weekend, right, with a bunch of volunteers petitioning people in the local neighborhood, <laughs> getting names of, of support, support, so that we could take to the com- you know community board meeting. And that actually was a really valuable exercise because it showed us we had support. Because yeah. people literally on the streets around us were like, "Yes, yes this is awesome." Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll sign it up. So that I think we were referring to that. That kind of. Um, stuff in the background, but also I would say we've done, well, probably a hundred and whatever, 20 parties now and all, but the first say dozen were are all done in unconventional spaces. So every single party, you know, we've loaded a sign system in, loaded a bar in, set it up, done an independent deal with that landlord for that space. So that's a lot of work, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of heartache, and it's a lot of, a lot of things can go wrong, and a lot of situations to deal with. And we're not at a very good place in terms of having good systems and a staff that work for us that do a lot of that for us. But getting there was
1: a lot of hard work, and I think yeah. there's that and in the beginning we, well, when we first moved out of the club and into Market Hotel,
0: and that was um, Santos. Yeah, we were They're at in Santos, Santos first. Yeah. yeah.
1: So we moved out of there and we started doing the party as a loft party. In the beginning, Eamon and I would go to the storage space and get the sound system and carry it up the stairs and set it up ourselves. We would go and buy the stuff for the bar and bring it in and set that all up and then try to like, Calm ourselves down to DJ, and then at the end of the night, we would have to like stick around and help break down the sound system, and you know help clean up for the night. So I mean that was just that was a it was a lot to deal with. Mm. And actually, it's funny because I think that as we started to develop uh, a group of people around us to help us do those things, the logistical parts of throwing the party, is around the time that we also refocus the party on us as DJs as well because we started to have the mental capacity to be able to to just play you know i mean that's that's one of the reasons why we started to f- like look for staff that could start doing these things for us because we just realized like we weren't playing well i'll speak for myself here i knew yeah. i amins justing perfect all the time yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's really, really difficult as a person who is got his hands on every single aspect of the night from like promoting the party to bookings to, you know, technical things to then take all those hats off and then put the DJ hat on and try to play a good set. and And all the while realizing that like. If something goes wrong in the night that that the person who like the the, the bartenders are going to come talk to, yeah, is me, you know, or is Eamon, you know, it's like that's that's a lot to deal with, and so it's been really really nice to take some of those responsibilities and hand them over, and you know now we just sh- you know like the sound system is set up when we get in, our sound guy is there, we do a, a, a tuning and you know the bar is being set up when we come in we've got a manager who knows the way we want the space to look and you know knows things that are important about getting the space set up so yeah we show up after nine o'clock and within the hour we're we're playing and we don't have to worry you know if something happens in the night the manager on duty is the
0: one that deals with that stuff you know um how did you guys cut your teeth doing this stuff i mean it's if you have such a diy approach um how did you know how to do all this coming into it though
1: when i first started to dj was i think in like 2004 the winter of 2004 was when i bought my turntables um i had this neighbor who was djing and uh he was djing downtown and i like Kind of like learned from him a lot, and I lived way, way, way uptown uh, on 157th Street and Riverside Drive, and he had a car, and so and he also knew the city really well, and I ended up going out with him all the time, and you know we would go to APT and we would go to the Tribeca Grand and like kind of these standard places where parties were happening in New York, but we would also go to these parties, and these shows um, that were happening in these underground venues, and those were the things that always spoke to me. At one point, I was at a restaurant, and this friend of mine introduced me to one of the guys that ran the space called Asterisk, which I think started like around 2001 or 2002, and I was already like trying to throw my own parties, you know? I was like DJing at home for about 3 months before I was like, oh, "I want to go out and play. I want to go out and play." So I was already throwing parties at like bars and things like that, but what I really wanted to do, what I was really psyched about was these DIY venues. And so as soon as I met this guy, his name was Corey Mason, um I was like, "Hey man, can I throw a party at your space?" And so for a couple of years, that's where I threw parties. And Asterisk was a place where people lived, they did art shows, they did hardcore shows. Todd P., who's like a, at this point, really well-established DIY promoter of shows, he was doing shows there as well. And so I started throwing parties there and just learning by by doing it. And the nice thing was there was like a little bit of an infrastructure there because, you know, people lived there who were involved in producing things and all, what I had to do was was put together a, a lineup of people and bring my turntables down and and dj and they would handle like running the bar and things like that but that's where I really cut my teeth and then after that I ended up I, th- that ended up growing into something where I was doing parties at like very large spaces like I threw a party at a big warehouse in, I think, November of 2006. So I like had gone from these little DIY things up to these larger DIY things. And through doing those, the people who ran APT found me and asked me to be the music director. And that's where I got just a lot more of the kind of like general... Industry stuff. Yeah, industry stuff, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the DIY thing was just like, it's a thing that spoke to me You know, it's the thing that I really felt comfortable in. And so that's the reason why I pursued that. And, and so there's a lot of that floating around in my head. And that's a lot of the reason why we do things the way we do them at Mr. Saturday Night Now.
2: What about you, Eamon? Um, For for me, I started DJing uh, when I was in college in London um, and started doing smaller parties, Around East London. This is like early 2000. So I was sort of cutting my teeth and buying a lot of records and learning how to DJ around that time. And then I had a chance to to move to New York. Um, so so I didn't have a I didn't really didn't have a lot to lose at that time. So I thought I'll just go because I, I love New York and I want to just try it out. So I went there and literally didn't know a soul. Um, and thought, okay, well. I'm really going to try and get myself into, uh, into music more. Right. Um, so I just started going to all the parties that were, you know, that were appealing to me and and my background prior to then was more indie music than, than dance music. So I was going to a lot of like, um, post-punk new wave sort of indie type nights, which, were a lot bigger than 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 they are now, um, and actually I mentioned Optimo before. Optimo were a bit of a bridge to me into more sort of house and techno type music because they would often come to New York and play these nights in the kind of like you know techno room. Um, so I I kind of stuck to that scene for a couple of years and started doing my own parties in like different little basements in the east village and so on and then there was a, a sort of wider community of bigger parties that that then i started to play as i as i you know got, got a you know bigger name within within that scene um so i did that for for a few years and and just so i was learning how to promote i was learning the landscape that was new york i was meeting people um, I was DJing a lot and, and that was good. And then I started playing, there's a, there was a huge party that used to happen in New York eight times a year on a holiday weekend called Motherfucker. And it used to happen at like, um, Limelight and, uh, what's that other huge club that's closed now? The one used to do the, the roller disco in as well. Roxy? Roxy. So just to happen, um. At, at those two places actually lots of different places but those are the two ones that stuck out so i ended up playing the, the techno room at the, those parties because i'd always I, you know would always look to play something that would, that had more of a beat to it than just just indie music um and then one of the the promoters and djs from that party became the musical director of a new club which opened in brooklyn which is like the first club to open in brooklyn called studio b and she brought me in as a resident off the back of that of playing those parties and so on so we i was playing there and, and that that party was just fraught with with trouble it was now ne- never what
1: it was, that place was fraught it was never yeah.
2: sorry place that the whole club it was yeah. it was fragmented the owner was bonkers um you don't f- say. It was far too big. It was, <laughs> like, it was a like a thousand people club. But it but it had some really special nights. And I think there's a lot of people in Brooklyn still remember some great nights in that club. Partly because it was like the first club in Brooklyn. It was, a, you know, just a big proper club, you know. And you got a thousand people in there with the right energy. It was great. I mean, I remember a great LCD show in there. I remember seeing James Murphy DJ in there. I, I, I remember some great parties that I played in there. But... But then the rule was that there was like 50 people on a dance floor and they needed 800
1: for the room to feel warm type of thing. Because but, they alienated their crowd. They kind of did all these things that we like are responding to and they alienated tons and tons of
0: people. How so? Like what?
2: It was just really badly wrong. It's just people that just didn't understand the experience that they were selling. You know, the, mm. the security was terrible. They, they, they were really, um, they really aggravated the local community around sound they didn't do some simple things they could have done to like work in harmony with the community and the community turned on them and they lost their license so anyway through doing that i learned working with justine there i started doing more and more of the booking and basically kind of learned the ropes of like of producing parties promoting the industry bit that that justin was talking about and then i started doing a party at a club called love in uh, the west village which was on many levels an amazing club and some other levels very a a weird place You, you may have been to but an amazing sound system a really great room so i did a party there with james friedman for about a year um which had a little bit of the template for the early days of mr saturday night in that james and i were were residents the guest would play from two to four we would close it out open it up um and we actually took Prime, t- the party was called Prime Time. We took that into Santos around the time that Justin was talking to Santos about, I think you were looking to do some one-off stuff. I can't yeah. remember, yeah. So, and, and in parallel to all that happening, Justin and I started talking about doing a party and we started Sunday Best, which was the precursor for Mr. Sunday. And Justin, when he was the musical director at APT, made me a resident there for a brief period of time. For a party I was doing with Africa Bambara, hmm. which didn't last very long because it was no. it was kind of weird. But anyway, <laughs> um, so you know, we 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 started sort of crossing paths a lot more, and 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 then you know sort of came together through through Santos,
0: and that was the beginning of Mister Saturday Night. And then, so did, you, um, did Sunday Best predate Mister Saturday Night? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sunday Best. The way it worked
1: was I was a music director at APT. I asked Eamon. Because we just like, I don't know, we just talked because he was doing the party at Studio B, I was the music director at APT. So we just chatted with each other in general. And I, I knew that he was doing good things. And I had the opportunity to do this weekly with Africa Bambaataa, but I wanted to do it so that it wasn't like another hip hop night at APT. APT had this great strong tradition of hip hop nights where we had DJ Premier was a resident there prince paul was a resident there bobito garcia rich medina like rich medina and and bobito are a little more out of the box than just being hip-hop djs but um but anyway i didn't want it to be another thing that was exactly kind of what people expected from apt on a monday or wednesday night so i went to amen and asked him to be a resident dj and um as as he said, you know, it didn't it didn't really go well. But in working with Eamon on promoting that night and just hearing what he was playing in the context of that party, I realized that he was somebody that I could work with. And um that summer we did Sunday Best for the first time. And then working with Eamon through Sunday Best was like, okay, this is really good. Like, you know, we We see things eye to eye. And then I think it was was after that first summer, right, where we had a conversation in the fall where both of us were at the point where we'd done all these different things and we were constantly doing this party with this group of people and this party at this club and it was very, very scattered. And we were both at the same place where we were like, what we really need to do is to have one thing that we do. And so, you know, we were both at the same place. We knew we worked well together and we had both been talking to Santos and it just created the way. And that's when Mr. Saturday Night started. That's how, you know, it, it, it came into being,
0: if you will, <laughs> you know. Um, when did the idea come about of, of sort of uh, being something more than like a local uh, party, you know, like uh, having the label playing in other countries? Um, how did that sort of come about?
2: I think I think that's always been part of the ambition. You know, I think we both want um, to have music you know in our lives and be what we do for a long time. we, we talked we've been talking about the label for a long time before the first record came out. We always said we wanted to do a label and we wanted to do a label in a certain way. It was just a matter of, of timing and just having that kind of mental bandwidth to focus to, which kind of goes back to, you know, lugging speakers upstairs. Yeah. You know, if you do that you know, on a Saturday, you're not thinking about a label until at least Wednesday, right. you know, so, but if you've got somebody else doing it for it, you got a little bit more energy. So just getting, getting the party to a certain point was necessary before we could start to focus on, on, on different things. It was just, it was just a timing thing. Um, and in terms of taking the, the party elsewhere and, and just generally playing elsewhere, I mean, we, we we love doing that. You know, we love going out and playing for different crowds. I love coming back to Europe because I'm, you know, right because I'm from here and we want to do more of that. But we but I think our priority will always be the thing in New York mm-hmm. and how we preserve that and. And, and move that forward in, in the right direction that's kind of home when 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 things come together in new york it, it's it's better I, had, I, haven't had, I haven't had a better experience playing anywhere else and and we played some great great gigs mm-hmm. um prior to us um playing together i used to come to europe quite a lot off the back of being the resident at studio b because it was it had quite a high profile at the time i used to come and play at tape mm. quite a lot here in berlin I had some great nights. There's some really great nights. But when it really clicks in New York, it's just, it's it's amazing. And I don't think we want to turn it back on that for a minute. So mm. I just think it's about doing things that are interesting, growing and, and extending what we do in a way that just feels right. And at the minute, that is the label playing outside of New York more where we when and where we can. And then, I don't know, maybe we'll start a band or something. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. In regards to the label, um, it sounds like there's this incredible ethic and um, aesthetic in general behind the party. Would you say you have kind of that same um, vision and energy directed towards the label or is it more like a side project?
1: Right now, the majority of time that I spend on Mr. Saturday Night Stuff is actually on the label. And one of the reasons, as Eamon said, is that, you know, I just got there's just more time free because the party at this point has an infrastructure and, and runs itself in its own kind of way. Um, and because running a label in the way that we're running the label is relatively new. It takes a lot of time to get stuff done, you know, figuring out the manufacturing process, which is just like fraught with difficulty. Um, you know, like stamping records and doing all that stuff. You know, it just it just ends up taking a lot of time.
2: But it, but I think I think we're on a similar trajectory there. We'll get to a point where it'll be more like touch, right. but we won't devalue it. We'll just we'll have a system in place. Well, but one it'll of the, still be the same quality product.
1: One of the big things for us is understanding what goes into something, right? Like one of the reasons why we can now, you know, hire somebody to do the sound and hire somebody to, to manage the night is because we know what to talk to them about. We've done these things enough that we understand on a very specific level what we need to be done our way and then the stuff that can just be done kind of like as a, as a normal job description for that you would get to be like a sound guy or something like that, right? Um, and so, you know, with the label it's been really important to us to be very active from top to bottom. Like we do the distribution. We go through sub distributors, but we do the distribution of the records ourselves. You know, I order the jackets to my apartment right now. We're moving, moving into an office. Very excited about that. Like things (laughs) things are, things are moving up. Um, But yeah, you know, the jackets come, the records come, you know, we stamp I ship the records to distributors. I ship the records to stores. I don't think that I'll always do that. And in fact, you know, for the next release, um, we've now got a production deal with one of our distributors where we just let them handle it. Because um, I think that that's actually going to be more efficient. We're going to be able to get records out more quickly yeah. that way. But the nice thing about it is like, I've now had my hands on this process for a year and I've dealt with a lot of different people in the process. And so I know what I'm asking somebody to do. There are no secrets. Right. You know, or there are f- very few secrets, if there are any secrets about, you know, wh- what goes into getting music from people and having it end up on a piece of vinyl in a store. So even though I can. Give that responsibility over to this guy who is one of our distributors. I know what questions to ask him, yeah. and I know very specifically to say, "Hey, like what we do here is a little bit differently than way other people do." So make sure you know, like when you stamp the records, that you stamp the records like this, or mm-hmm. here's where we get our stamps from, or you, right. know, you know what, like just I, I can inform the decisions a little bit more than I would be able to if we just had a and d deal with, you know, X distributor, and they just pressed our records and, and sent us an inv- invoice at the end of the Well,
0: that would be just like um, having a normal club through your party. Right, right. Be easy. And so it's just, it, it is kind of the same uh, strictly ground-up approach, like mm-hmm. you're controlling every detail yeah. of the whole thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're control but, freaks. But,
2: but We're control freaks, but I also say in a very particular way that we are ambitious as well. Mm-hmm. So in terms of where the label could go, I, I mean we haven't spent an awful lot of time talking about it because we're just trying to get it right. But mm. certainly for me, in a way, I, I'd like to take the, the label to a fairly um, a fairly far-reaching level, right? So it's, I mean, at the minute, it's, it's hand-stamped 12 inches only, right? But I would like the label to reach a wider audience eventually and mm-hmm. in, 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 in the right way, right? So, you know, I can see us definitely doing... doing um Full length. I can definitely mm. see us doing digital yeah, yeah. at the right time, yeah. um, and I can definitely see us stepping more outside the world of uh, of electronic dance music as yeah. well. Hmm. I mean, we, we we already have, you know, even with the second record and 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 the the fourth one, um, but even more so as well, because the
1: the music of the party is very diverse in that manner mm. as well. It's not all dance music, so. Thinking also along the line, I mean, I guess it's just like this is who we are as people, right? And so uh, sometimes I don't realize that there are these parallels between the party and the record label. But in the same way that we want for the party to be something that people can come to who wouldn't necessarily consider themselves like dance music aficionados or Mm -hmm. even interested in dance music and be able to enjoy themselves. You know, like right now we're a vinyl only label, but the only reason why we're vinyl only is because um or one of the main reasons i should say that we're vinyl only right now is because we want to understand it right like we want to know how this process works before we just go whole hog and say all right our music's available digitally and this like we want to like understand this process hand that process off to somebody let them manage it for us and then and then maybe go to a digital distributor or decide like maybe the way we should do digital is just sell digital ourselves. You know, we don't know yet, but you know, I don't want, we're not doing vinyl only right now so that it's exclusive and like, you know, so we can be underground and whatever. We're just doing it because it's the way that we know, like we buy vinyl. We know how people who buy vinyl buy it because Mm. that's what we do. (laughs) And so it's just a world that we understand. And I think, you know, the way we work is we're trying to present an experience or present a product in a way that fits into our worldview. And while we're doing it through this worldview, we're also really interested in expanding our worldview as well and not just getting comfortable with like, well, this is the way it works and this is the way we do it. Because then things get stale and things get Mm -hmm. boring. Amy and I are both like pretty excited about a lot of different kinds of things and, and about like, you know... Expanding our our minds, you know, expanding the 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 responsibilities that we have, and you know, just trying to like maximize life, you know. And I, I think I think that that's that's where we're going with the party, and that's where we're going with the label.